Hi. 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 I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. And Grandpa. And welcome to the 2013 Academy Awards. For the first time, the Oscars. This is the first time that they officially branded the show as they use the term Oscars officially in their branding. Oh. So why'd they call them Oscars? Just uh, it was oh, I, oh, I, somebody? oh, I looked it up. <laughs> the origin of the nickname is disputed, mm. and therefore can't really give you any good thing there. But it was officially adopted as the nickname in 1939, so ten years after the award started. Hmm. And this is the first time it was officially like the award show was called the Oscars, yeah. as opposed to and they the still call it the Academy Awards, but they were ba- they used the term the Oscars in their official branding. Huh. It's shorter. Yeah. But this is if I ran the Academy, I mean Oscars, <laughs> where we look at one movie from every year the awards were on TV, we look at what it won for, and then three other categories at random to see what else it could have won for. Because we like that. And this was both a broad year for good movies and a year for some interesting things to happen. So this was uh, the fourth time Best Picture was not nominated for Best Director. They don't always win both, mm-hmm. but usually there's a nomination. The last one to do it was Driving Miss Daisy, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. This was the year George Clooney picked up his uh, producing uh, Oscar okay. to go with his acting one. Uh, the 14th film to get nominations for all four acting categories was this year, and it was not the movie we watched. It was Silver Lightning's Playbook. And, that was a good film. Yep. And this is also the youngest and the oldest nominees for Best Actress. Because this was for Cuevanzane Wallace and Emmanuel Riva. Huh. Uh, first was nine. The second was 85. Wow. Uh, also a tie. This is the sixth tie in Oscar history. And we'll talk about it when we get there. Because we have, in fact, rolled the category. But we watched the return of Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln because we've seen. The return him... isn't the name of the film. No, but we watched Lincoln. Lincoln is, we, the, name Lincoln of is the, the name of the film, and we've technically seen him before because he was in one scene in Gandhi. That's true. <laughs> I don't remember his role in Gandhi. Was it, so... was it? Was it Gandhi? Not Lawrence of Arabia, right? It was one of the two. I think it was Gandhi. Yeah, Lawrence of Arabia is too old. Yeah, he wouldn't have been in that. He was like some random ruffian. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. So we have talked about Daniel Day-Lewis a bit, so we're not going to get into that too much right now. And you can't really spoil much of the plot of Lincoln, since... If you were partially awake during American history, yeah, you would know about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't necessarily know about the specific events that are more cinematic in the movie than historical. Though, since this is Steven Spielberg, I suspect that there was at least some basis in historical research done rather than, you know, what would be cool. Take and a thread just... of an idea and run with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I... Well, yes. So, this movie was conceived... Before the book it was based on was done. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Goodwin, 
who, oh, sorry, not Mr. Mrs. Goodwin. Yeah, my my apologies. It just says Goodwin here, and then I read on longer, and it said she, and I fixed myself. Yeah. In ninety in nineteen ninety nine, she told Spielberg she was working on this book, and he said, "Sweet, I wish to purchase the film rights." She hadn't started writing the book yet. Wow. Uh, an additional fun fact. Daniel Day-Lewis turned the part down in 2003. He thought it preposterous that he would play Lincoln. So in 2005, having previously worked with Spielberg on Schindler's List, they cast another tall guy. With an Irish accent? With an Irish accent. Hmm. But Liam Neeson left the project in 2010 because he thought he was now too old and he was, in fact, technically older than Lincoln was. Because he was 58, and Lincoln was 55. That was too old. Okay. That's what he said. <laughs> he also said that it didn't feel right, and he said, Okay, Spielberg, you need to recast this. And then they went back to Daniel Day-Lewis, and they got it. Uh, Sally Field, who is also in this movie, and we should, and we don't, we've talked about her before, so we won't talk about her much. Because we watched Norma Ray. We did. Uh, she thought that it was probably because his wife had died uh, in 2009. Uh, so there's lots of reasons, and if it yeah. didn't, if it wasn't right for him, it wasn't right. The movie was filmed in Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Petersburg. You know what? There's a, a time where they're looking at purportedly inside the Capitol building. And there's a statue of George Washington. That's at Richmond. In I've fact, been there. It mm. is the Virginia State Capitol. I have served as the exteriors and interiors of the Capitol and the exteriors of the White House. I have stood mm. in that very rotunda where that huge statue is of Washington. They, in fact, mm. modified the House of Delegates room. To fit the House of Rep- Representatives chamber set. Huh, cool. The Grover's Theater were filmed in Richmond mm-hmm. at the Repertory Theater. Okay, nice. So, there's not much in this one about production because it's about the people who are in it. And we can start with, we've talked about Daniel Day-Lewis a bit. He, we, for the reminders of people here, Daniel Day-Lewis wins Best Actor Oscars and then disappears. Well, he arrives, does good acting, and then decides he doesn't want to make movies for a while. It's incredible. Because mm-hmm. right. he's the only guy to win Best Actor three times. Mm. And he did so, and then he's like, sweet, I'm done making movies now. Yeah. And he's done. Mm. Uh, Sally Field, of course, also here. Uh, so Daniel Day-Lewis won an Oscar for this performance. And in fact, this is our primary thing. So we'll talk about that. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, I, I forgot where we were on the chart. Sorry? Like, we want the people to think that we have a chart. We definitely pretend to have a chart. <laughs> uh, Mom made mention of uh, the dressmaker to Mary Todd Lincoln. But you want you don't want me to talk about my historical rabbit hole yet. You can you can make you can make mention. Okay, so because I like costumes, there's a podcast that I listen to that is produced by two women from the Fashion Institute of America in New York, and they did a podcast, Elizabeth Keckley, 
And so I was well aware of this woman as a fashion person from history. So it, it was a little bothersome to me that the character, the way they portray her in this movie, is that she's basically a household wardrobe assistant to Mrs. Lincoln, which is not what Elizabeth Keckley was. In reality, she was a, a woman of extremely high sewing skill that when she was a slave, she was so valuable to her family that they basically farmed out her sewing and she helped bankroll the family that she was enslaved by. She eventually purchased her freedom and her son's freedom from her um, family. Mm. Then she moved to, so she purchased her freedom in 1860 or before 1860 and by then was in Washington. She had a sewing company. She had 20 people working for her. Really? Yes. She did all the movers and shakers, all the high profile ladies of Washington and of whom Mary Todd Lincoln was one of them. So, um, so there, I mean, the shred of truth that they just took for this film. I suspect part of that has to do with you can't spend too much time on that. Right. right. But for me, I was totally nerding out. Yeah. And this is why Mary Todd Lincoln, I mean, her dresses were oh, so fashionable and over the top because she had this woman yeah. working for her. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Sorry. The actress is Gloria Rubin, who is best known as being Jeannie Boulet on ER. Okay. She's done other things as well, but right, right. once you've big on ER than your George Clooney. I mean, yeah. other people. Next, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay, I won't nerd out about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I will. He was at Looper. I, <laughs> yes. I, I really like Looper, and I haven't gotten to talk about it for a while. I really like Third Rock from the Sun, and I haven't talked about that for at least an episode yeah. or two. I also like, he <laughs> is one of the people who has transitioned the best into... In the cult, the current culture of the internet, and using it in a positive manner as far as celebrity actor people go, because he has an online platform that basically encourages people to work together on creative processes, and actually got two Emmys for doing so. Yeah. He made a TV show with people off the internet so good that they got awards, which is pretty cool. Also, he was in Looper. But also... <laughs> it's a movie called Looper, where he plays the... It's a, a time travel movie, and he plays the young version of Bruce Willis, and the makeup job is so good. Yeah, and he picks up the vocal variations that are yeah. common to Bruce Willis. It was really interesting yeah. in that regard. Uh, next person to talk about is someone who we rarely saw in this movie. His name is Steven Henderson. And this is the uh, this is the elderly man that's sort of the assistant for Mr. Lincoln. That's there sort of at the beginning at the end. Oh, the one that, that, that Tad asks him if he was beaten yeah. as a slave and he said, no, I was born a free man. Yeah. He, Mr. Slade was his character name. Yes. Right? Uh, he most recently was in Dune. What? I'm sorry, I was having really? cocoa. He was Mentat Thufir Hawat, which means something to people that know Dune. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But he was uh, 
He was a cop in Ghostbusters. The original? In 1984, was there a different original? No. <laughs> yeah. So he, is he there when the when they're talking to the the mayor in the mayor's office? It doesn't say. It just says. Or is he a cop? It just at says, the, it just at says the prison? policeman. It doesn't say. Too funny. I uh, when pencil neck says shut this down, shut this all down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next uh, person to talk about. I and I am going to be skipping through a few of these because there's just so darn many and picking right. the ones that people might want to hear about or that you want to talk about. Well, it's Adam Driver. I wanted to talk about Adam Driver. Yeah. So we'll start off with the first thing he did: the Marines. He was in the Marines. He's a lance corporal. Oh, good for him. His Broadway debut was in 2010. His first major thing he did was HBO's Girls. In 2012. I don't know what that means. His film career started with Lincoln, and then three years later he was in Star Wars. And that's the end of that. So, you know, a meteoric rise, I think we'll call it. Mm -hmm. He's done some other things, of course. Uh, In 2021, he was in two Ridley Scott movies. Hmm. The Last Duel and House of Gucci. Oh, I wanted to watch that. Yeah. In, Still at the theater, I think. Yeah. For costumes for costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you kind of ha- you kind of would have to if it's about Gucci. I know. Next person, Jared Harris. This is the guy who played Ulysses Grant. Okay. I've personally recognized him the most from the TV show Fringe. However, he was not nominated for an Emmy for that. He was nominated for an Emmy for being in Mad Men, which I hear was a good TV show. I don't know. Uh, he also, uh, he got a British American TV award for being in the HBO series Chernobyl. Is that Shakespeare? Uh, no. That one's, ex- that one's nuclear fire. I thought two noble kinsmen. No, that's, no, it's not Chernobyl kinsmen. Chernobyl kinsmen. He was also in Mr. Deeds somewhere, apparently. Didn't think we'd talk about that movie on a podcast, but there we are. Is that with the one where he's from Iowa? I don't know. No, she's from Iowa. She's from Iowa? Yeah. From that town in Iowa? Yeah. Chestertonville? Chesterton Fieldville? Chesterton yeah. Fieldville? Sorry, I digress. All right. A little bit, yeah. Next one, and this is a guy who's in one scene. His name is David Oyelowo. We know him. We do now. Oh. Then he was doing... He, he, was, he got his start in doing British stuff, most specifically... He was in the British TV show Spooks in 2002. He was in a few movies before this, but then he was Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. Okay. That's, but that was in that's 2014. Where I was trying to, that was trying so to So at this point, he hadn't quite clicked there. He also is the voice of a character in Star Wars. Oh, dear. But it's from the extended universe, so you definitely don't know who it no, is. I don't know. I... He is OBE. Because he's done some things. Because he's done some things, and British. Next person, Bruce McGill. This is the uh, uh, guy, I think he's the Secretary of War. Like, like spit, spit out your words there. He's the, <laughs> when, they're, when they're doing the war planning at the beginning, he's yeah. got the big beard, and he's the one asking where the map is burned. Yeah, he's very familiar actor. Yeah. He has done tons of work. A lot of television. Yeah. Uh, films, too. Daniel's D-Day Day in Animal House. Jack Dalton on MacGyver. Mm-hmm. And one episode of Star Trek Voyager. 
Jack Dawkins? Jack Dalton on MacGyver. I said Dawkins died a long time ago. Yeah. Hey, how have we not talked about Tommy Lee Jones yet? I don't know. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. Let's rectify it now. Yeah. He has Best Supporting Actor. Which movie did he win Best Supporting Actor for? It was not this one. It's not this one. He was nominated, though. Um... I don't know. Have I seen it? I don't know. Have you seen The Fugitive? The Fugitive? I was thinking it might be that. He's been in... He was really good in that. Men in Black. But he's he's done a lot of good work. He was in No Country for Old Men. He was Two-Face in Batman Forever, which was a trip. I saw that over Thanksgiving break. Uh, He was in Captain America the First Avenger. So we got Marvel covered here. Don't remember his role in that. He's the no-nonsense military guy at the training camp when Steve Rogers is still a twig. That kind of makes sense. Yes. <laughs> also, fun fact, loves Japan. Okay. It's very weird how much he likes Japan. Not in a, this is creepy way, but in a, you would never, in your life, you would not have put Tommy Lee Jones and Japan together. Probably not. He's in tons of commercials. There was one time where they were doing this like celebrity thing. All the they all come together and they're you know saying for a good cause. He's the only white guy. <laughs> it's very weird, but kind of cool. Next on our list, Lee Pace. This is uh, Representative Pendleton, the okay. great big jerk off yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. He is also in the Marvel movies. He is Ronan the Accuser. And lots of face paint, so you can't tell it's him. But he's also Thranduil, the Elven King, in the Hobbit movies. (laughs) Elven King. (laughs) I didn't remember that. (laughs) I think both of them, he has enough makeup that we... And and in this movie, he's... he looks like a guy from 1865. Okay. He's, so, he's got more obscuring his face in his how, Wikipedia picture because he's got a beard. How could a great big guy be an elven king? <laughs> yeah. He's very tall. Elves are tall. Very tall well, Ronan the Accuser has big shoulder pads. <laughs> 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 they they, may, they, add, they add a lot of size. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's yeah. where I'm... Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Funny. Michael Stuhlbarg, who we didn't talk, who we haven't talked about before. This is the, uh, which representative was he? He was the sort of timid one that, uh... He changed his mind at the last changed minute? Changed his mind at the last minute. He became ambassador to Denmark. Oh, oh, George oh. Yeaman. Yeah. yeah. Y-E-A-M-A-N. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, done a lot of things. And uh, this is another one where I'm sort of surprised we haven't talked about him because he's just in so darn much stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, it was starting in 2009, so he hasn't been in much stuff as far as this mm-hmm. knows. But he was in Lincoln, Hitchcock, Steve Jobs, Trumbo, The Post, Shirley, Boardwalk Empire. He's done a lot in His historical agent is fiction. getting him steady work. Yeah. He was also in Doctor Strange. So there's more Marvel movies. Hmm. And the TV show hmm. of Fargo. Which and, isn't about Fargo, yeah. really, people. Trust and me. after talking about a Marine, it's time to talk about someone who was in the Army. In World War II. Hal Holbrook? Hal Holbrook. Who, almost certainly, they asked him to be in this movie because of his previous acting work. Because he played Lincoln twice. Yeah. I didn't know that. I forgot that. It was in the 1973 miniseries Lincoln, 
and the 1985 miniseries North and South. His uh, claim to fame, however, was playing Mark Twain, mm-hmm. which he oh, yeah. started doing in 1954. And he did that on stage. Yes. Yeah. He stopped playing Mark Twain in his one-man stage show, Mark Twain Tonight, in 2017. Think of it. Wow. He played the same character in the same show for over 60 years. Think of it. Oh, man. He died in January of 2021. And boy, does he have a body of work. I didn't know that. Boy, does he have a body of work. Oh, man. Holy crap. It's amazing the body of work that guy did. He he was constantly working Working. multiple multiple things each year for Mm -hmm. his whole career. Some of those people would rather work than live. Yeah. Yeah, no. National Humanities Medal in 2003. So, yeah. There, there's that's a pretty yeah, good yeah. get there. Uh, hey, here's another guy we haven't talked about, James Spader. Yeah, we haven't. Oh yeah, I he, know him. Yeah, he's the guy with the ridiculous mustache, who's the most uncouth of the three uncouth gentlemen mm-hmm. <laughs> that they hire to do uncouth things. Mr. Mm. Bilbo. Mr. Bilbo. Uh, he was in Stargate. Yes, he was. I do not the remember original. that. He was also in Crash, which we didn't watch. For good measure. Uh, and he was uh, in a Marvel movie. <laughs> he was the bad guy in the second Avengers movie. He, this is the robot that was connected to the internet for two seconds and decided to destroy the world. Oh, dear. Hmm. Uh, TV show-wise, he was the uh, main character, well, one of the main characters in the show The Blacklist, which yeah. got him Golden Globe nominations. Also in The Practice and the spin-off Boston Legal. Three Emmys there for him. So good job to him. But wait, we're still not done. What? Because it's time for Julie White. She's a random Mrs. And I don't remember which one. I'm going to have to grab which Mrs. it is because I was not going to mention her except that she's got Uh, She's Mrs. uh, Elizabeth Blair Lee. Ah, she's the daughter of Mr. Blair. Yeah. Uh, She's the mom in Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I wanted to mention of her. She hasn't done much as far as big name stuff, but she's the mom in the Transformers movies. You're such a nerd. Yeah. Uh, S. Sharon Apatha Merkerson is the housekeeper for Mr. Stevens. She has an Emmy, a Golden Globe, a SAG, four NAACPs, two Obies, and two Tony nominations. She was the Lieutenant Van Buren in 395 episodes of Law and & Order, oh. and also the male lady on Pee-wee's Playhouse. And I don't know which is more impressive. <laughs> I think Law & Order. Probably Law & Order, but, you know, come on, Pee-wee's yeah. Playhouse. But he and, he fell into, you know, disrepute. And her <laughs> role on this film was... One scene? One scene at the end, right? Yeah. Well, two scenes. Yeah. She had to change oh, yeah, her clothing. Yeah, I, guess, I guess that's yeah. true, yes. Two scenes. So, next on our list, Jackie Earl Haley. This is vice president of the Confederacy guy. Okay. Who looks a little shrewd and shrimpy. <laughs> he looks like they tried to yeah. make him slimy. His earliest roles were Kelly Leak in the Bad News Bears trilogy. <laughs> he then produced and directed TV commercials. Then he came back with a supporting role in 2006 in All the King's Men. He would then go on to be, where I would recognize him from, 
Rorschach in The Watchmen. Oh. Then, Freddy Krueger when they remade Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> remade. Okay. It was the 2010 version, in case yeah. anyone's paying attention. Then he was in the movie Alita Battle Angel, which you don't know about, but that's, uh, I believe, one of those where James Cameron just went. He just threw money at his movie until it worked. <laughs> uh, it's an inter- It's not a bad movie, but it's, it's interesting. But I would say different. And, uh, though not Marvel or DC, he was a character known as The Terror in the first season of The Tick. <laughs> okay. Those of you who know about The Tick, know about The Tick. And those of you who don't... Don't. ...are making the face <laughs> Mom's making at me. The Tick's a very weird thing. What kind of Tick? The Tick is a superhero. I see. He's a blue superhero, and he's sort of like comedy, not very good at his job. And it was I. It was a TV not your, show. Not your typical bloodsucker. No. It was a TV show, and then they remade it into a live-action show. It was an animated show first. So, very weird there, but, you know, gotta mention the tick where you can get it. You don't always get to mention the tick. Stop it. Uh, don't worry, we're not done yet. With the tick? No, oh. with actors. Gregory Itzen. This is one of the other delegate guys. I don't remember which one of the two it was. His uh, big thing was being the character Charles Logan on 24, which is... With Kiefer Sutherland? With Kiefer Sutherland, and that's a pretty good way to... You know, if you're in that show a lot, that's a good way to have a paycheck for a while. Though his first role was as religious zealot number one on Airplane. <laughs> religious zealot number one. Yeah. You know, because sometimes there's a second religious there zealot. There must have been more than one, of course. <laughs> yeah. For that show, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, that would just be funny. And that's all I've pulled up for actors. Well, that was a lot. That's a lot. And there's more that have Wikipedia pages. Right. This is a movie where the acting was good. Three people were nominated for acting performance. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Sally Field did not win, but Daniel Day-Lewis did. And speaking of which, how do we feel about this guy who is portraying someone who's never been videotaped before? So we have no idea what he acted like in real life. We have no idea what Lincoln was like. I mean, we have yeah. written accounts, but we don't... For This would be difficult to method act, I think. I, I looked at who he was up against. Bradley Cooper, Hugh Jackman, Joaquin Phoenix, and Denzel Washington. And it was good competition, but I think it was a walk away for Daniel Day-Lewis, as far as I'm concerned. It's both... It's the combination of someone who can play Lincoln correctly is going to be a shoe-in. Mm -hmm. And... Daniel Day-Lewis always does good jobs. He just nailed it. He doesn't read bad... He doesn't read for bad scripts. He doesn't pick bad mm -hmm. movies. So there was no way that this wasn't going to go his way. And also, you're right. Denzel Washington, Joaquin Phoenix, Hugh Jackman, and Bradley Cooper is a good lineup. It would have been easy to lose to them. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Spielberg doesn't do that. No, he, he just did such a good job all around, I think, that... He did a very... It really worked. I think my favorite part about the entire performance is how tired he looked whenever he didn't need to put on a face. Mm -hmm. He really looked like he was ready for this all to be done. Which I think is accurate with what life had been doing to him. And I liked, uh, I liked the storytelling component that 
it worked so well and now we're talking about writing of course but it worked so well the way he presented his stories it was like uh he's just telling this random story but there's a moral at the end of it yeah you know the message is going to come through at the end of the story even though the story sounds unrelated i did appreciate the one time the Secretary of War was like, no, you're going to tell a story. I do not have time for this. <laughs> but did you see what happened? That it, well, it worked at the end. but Because the, the Secretary of War was so impatient waiting for the news to come. Yeah. And then Lincoln told this story about Ethan Allen going into more yeah. detail than we thought. And, and told the news came. And, but by the time the story was done, that's the amount of time they needed to just be patiently waiting. Yeah. So, yeah. But overall, very good job. Definitely, even if this was a bad movie, I would say you'd want to watch it just for his performance. But it is a good movie, therefore watch it for other reasons. I like his delivery in that he paused. There were thoughtful pauses that you would expect a man of, that we assume Lincoln's intellectual stature, you know, he was a smart guy, that he... There were times when he could just rattle things off because he was an intelligent man, but there were probably times when Lincoln had to pause and then say something. And I think that seemed the way um, Daniel Day-Lewis portrayed it, that seemed like a very natural way to present the president. Yeah. Our first bonus category, since we were talking so much about the writing, is Best Adapted Screenplay. So what do we think about the writing? I thought it was very good. I appreciated the old-timey words. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. We had to have... I had to look up something on my Merriam-Webster dictionary phone app. There were lots of words that are just, the hell does this mean? And then you look it up, and it's the perfect word to be used. A word that we should be using more often, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I pulled up the guy that wrote it. The guy who ended up with his name on the credit mm-hmm. is Tony Kushner. He has a Pulitzer. Okay. Because he wrote the play Angels in America in 1993. Okay. He got the Pulitzer and the Tony for that. He's worked with Spielberg on not only this movie, but also Munich, 2005, and West Side Story. <gasps> which, which we just saw. Which people in this house have seen very recently. He was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Munich and Lincoln. West Side mm. Story is still too new to see if that one will get anything. True. And he has a National Medal of Arts. So yeah. he's... I'm not surprised. Yeah. I thought it was a masterful job. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and portraying. So based on a book, mm-hmm. and then he wrote the screenplay off of the book. Yes. Okay. And this lost out to Argo, which is based on The Master of Disguise and the <laughs> Wired and a Wired magazine article. Hmm. So well, mm. well I, I wanted to say something about uh, portraying the entire entourage of actors in session in in congress and i kept thinking about the difference between that group and the way it was coming across as the founders the difference in the background of those people by that time a much larger group much more formalized and yet as you were just saying uh i I don't know how to say it a much i'll hate to say less educated because i don't think that's quite true but certainly they were less educated in that this bunch there were more of them and more, more of them, uh, you might say, commoners. But I, I'm still thinking about it. I haven't quite got my thoughts together. All right. Well, while you're I, thinking on that. No, I'm not going to think yeah. about it now. 
The next uh, fun one is, it says on my list, sound effects, which unfortunately is two categories still. It's a weird one and difficult Mm -hmm. to pin down. It was nominated for sound mixing, which I find a little interesting because there wasn't much going on in the way of sound, though I suspect getting clarity in the House of Representatives sections was probably an uphill battle. So I'm going to start with the tie for sound editing was Skyfall and Zero Dark Thirty. And I looked up why there was a tie. It was because there was a tie. It wasn't like a huge drama or anything. There just was a tie in the voting, and they said, oh, okay. So they each got an Oscar then? They each got an Oscar. Oh. Uh, but I did pull up the people who were working on this movie from a sound design standpoint. And I thought, okay, well, I mean, maybe there are some Spielberg, Spielberg normal guys. People. All right. Are you ready to hear some lists of accomplishments? Gary Rydstrom has been nominated or won the Academy Awards for... Oh, wait, no, I can't just say the following. We'd be here all day. Uh, Most recently, he was nominated for Ad Astra in 2020. uh, Let's see here. War Horse, Finding Nemo, Minority Report, Monsters, Inc., Star Wars Episode One, Saving Private Ryan, Titanic, Jurassic Park, Terminator 2... I Okay, he does good work. Another guy in the team, there are three of them. One of them has, like, slightly less awards than the other two, so <laughs> we're going to go with the top two. Andy Nelson. He has two Academy Awards and has nom- been nominated for 19 others, hmm. including Schindler's List, Braveheart, L.A. Confidential, Moulin Rouge, Seabiscuit, The Last Samurai, War of the Worlds, Star Trek, Avatar, Les Mis, this year, which he won for. <laughs> that must be a replay. So he was nominated yeah, for two different film, films this, film this year. Yeah. In 2015, yeah. he yeah. was nominated for both Bridge of Spies it and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Like 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, the Moulin Rouge Whoa. is a more recent... Yeah, this is in 2001. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they did not hire slouches to help them with their sound recording. Despite the fact that this was probably not a movie that required this caliber of sound guys. But you know what? If if you want to put out a quality movie product, you have to have quality people on your team. And luckily these weren't guys that looked at this movie like, you want us to sound mix people talking for two hours. There were horses. There were. There was steamboat. There was crackling fire, but not too much fire. Well, what I'm saying is that... If these aren't the kind of people that are going, where if this isn't a laser space battle where you're asking me to invent 50 new sounds, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. These aren't people that are too far up their own butts that they mm-hmm. will turn down a movie like this. No, it's... I know, uh, but if Spielberg calls you, do you oh, say no? Oh, no, no, no. You, <laughs> I mean, if Spielberg on. calls, you say yes, but... And, yeah, it lost out to Les Mis, and Les Mis was a musical. And so yeah. their sound mixing had to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our third bonus category is Best Art Direction, which this year became became production design, not art direction. So I'll try and remember that. And it won for that. So what did the art directors do after this or before this? That would be Rick Carter was the production designer. He is best known for Forrest Gump, but also worked on Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, Jurassic Park, Avatar, Back to the Future 2 and 3, 
So he's the Spielberg and Zemeckis guy, you say. Mm -hmm. Well, I also think about the flavor of those movies that you just rattled off. Yeah. And it's not just one particular genre or time setting. Uh, To me, the thing that was interesting about some of the um, production design with wallpaper. Yeah. Furniture. Yeah. Carpet. Yeah. Fireplaces. Mm -hmm. um, You know, the art on the wall, the the lamps. You know, how did we get the lighting in the, these rooms? This we're, guy. We're oil lamps. This is yeah. where we think of, you know, lighting in terms of is it LED or not? There probably were not lamp bulbs everywhere at this time period. Oh, definitely. Well, you know yeah, what maybe. I'm saying? So, I mean, it's, it's well, gas lamps as opposed to candles. I mean, it's a really different lighting scenario, but the things looked appropriate, and it didn't detract from... Yeah. And it also requires you to put a lot of work in with your camera guys, because if you just walk up to a set and say, cool, we're using oil lamps for this, and the camera guy goes, how do we see... In the mm-hmm. camera, and they mm-hmm. say, that's your problem, bucko. Mm-hmm. Shoot them finger guns and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have a problem. That's right. That's right. Yeah, this guy, Rick Carter, is has just tons of quality films on yeah. his repertoire. And on four nominations, he has two wins on production design. So That's a pretty good batting average. I mean, yeah. I, The guys in the majors would wish for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's our categories. This was... This is a good movie. This is a good movie. You should watch this. Yeah. Get it from the library. Borrow it from a friend who still has DVDs on their shelf. It's probably on Amazon Prime. It might be on Netflix. I didn't check Netflix because the library had it. I know. We like to support our local library. Make sure you wear a mask when you go. It's a government building. Well, at least it is in our community. Amen. Amen. Yeah. But we we want the libraries to still be available. So we need to get things at the library. I don't know. I like this film. It was Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, I have I once. had watched it before I forgot, but yeah, I, I you remember. got you got facts for us. Well, only in that uh, when we were talking Daniel Day Lewis, um, I didn't realize, but we have seen him in two films that we've viewed for this series. What was the other one? Room with a View. Huh? Huh? Forgot that from nineteen eighty five. Well, the eighty six awards. Yeah, but Award. we did view that one. And he was in that, and I had forgotten, but I I recognized it, and I I also have watched the Last of the Mohicans, but not yeah, for this, not for this. And he was in that, so but that and Gandhi, yeah. So just uh, you know, picking up on the who have we seen in films before? Mm-hmm. That's all, right. all. That's it. Well, then we want to thank the Academy for doing its job, and Grandpa has one more thing to say. I'm wondering why and what the possible basis there could be for at the end of the movie. <clears throat> They had what sounded like symphonic music. Remember that? Yeah. Two mm-hmm. or three measures. You know what it was? It was Beethoven's Egmont Overture. Now, I don't know a damn thing much about Egmont, except that he was a Flemish nobleman that was a subject of a play of sorts back in Beethoven's. But what possible connection there could be between the news or the fact of Lincoln's assassination being there? I'm going to have to do a little research. Like, why did they choose that particular why, why, piece of music? And it's so out of place to me. Hmm. But hmm. but most of us don't have the musicology background that you have. Yeah. So for us, it just felt like a uh, a culmination. You're used to hearing something that that made me feel like we are at the end. Yeah. 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 
And maybe for them, that's all it was for them was it gave them the right. Yeah, but why that one? I mean, I, yeah, it's because they didn't want something that's too familiar to people. You are like the only guy that would be able to pull that out of their the air and say, "Oh, that's Eggman." Well, if we're going to talk about music, I could mention George Frederick Root. He's the man that wrote the Battle Cry of Freedom that they sung in the House of Representatives, which he wrote during the Civil War. And according to Wikipedia, says he is the first American to compose a secular cantata. And I don't necessarily know what that means, <laughs> but he's the first one to do it, so it must be important. Well, at least it sounds good. Yeah. yeah. And that's the... I, that that song definitely was not written for this movie. That one was much older. Correct. All right. I think we're back to the end. All right. Well, let's thank the Academy for doing their job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. Bye. Bye. Night. <laughs>